0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other
1: messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.
0: Well, good morning, guys. How you doing? Well, I'm so excited to be here with you today. And we got a special guest today that I'm really excited about I'll get to in just a minute. But before I do so, in the announcements, Leah just said, Leah just said, that marriages have been struggling and stressed. Because of that, we also want to help couples get stronger who are in marriage. So we have a marriage conference coming up on October 21st and 22nd. It is going to be really amazing. Ted Cunningham, who's a pastor, speaker, and comedian, is going to come talk to us about strengthening our marriages and growing in our marriages. And uh, he's also going to speak Sunday morning here. So if you're pre-married, if you're married if you are Want to get married, if you're thinking about marriage, if you are married, you're married five years, two years, three years, 100 years, come on. It'll be great. You'll have a lot of fun. And we'll, we're going to connect here. Jennifer Shock and our team is pulling this together. So please come join us. Uh, uh, our, we've opened this up to many churches in the area. So early sign up, you get a better rate. And uh, you'll hear about this more and more and more. So sign up and do that. All right. Well, you know, we've been in this series called Unleashed. And we've been walking through the book of Acts and looking each week at how God has unleashed us for more. that the early church was unleashed by the Holy Spirit to go be and do and live as God has called us to do. It acts as a continuation of what Jesus had already been doing and wanted to continue to do through his people. We've looked at we've been unleashed for more power, more purpose, more identity, more boldness, more prayer, more evangelism, all this we're called. To more. We want to be people that are so filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that we live like the disciples in Acts 4.13. They were ordinary men and women who had been with Jesus. Where we so understand what it looks like to be with Jesus that the world around us wants to know the God we know. And so I want to, before I bring my friend up to speak, um, I want to tell you, God has called me to an adventure of living and unleashed more. A couple weeks ago, I said to you that I struggle to pray. I'm a great worshipper. I read the Bible every day, but I struggle to pray. So the Lord, Holy Spirit, has challenged me for the next three weeks, starting tomorrow. I am going on a prayer journey. I'm going to be here the whole time on campus, but for seven hours a day, I've canceled all my meetings. And I'm just going to pray. I'm scared to death. It's going to be really hard, right? Like, but 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 I'm excited for what God tells me, what what, he, what we lean into for. My family, for the church, as we just lean into more. So be praying for me. I don't tell you this in pride. I tell you this to say, holy crud, I need help. All right? Uh, so, anyway, so with that, I want to invite a friend up, a former friend, uh, Vineyard, who's moved to Colorado to plant a church. And you, you, this church, we are helping him plant. He and his wife and his five kids plant in Colorado Springs. We gave him $30,000, and there's more to come. And we're really excited. I'm excited to bring back to the stage. Our friend Eric Chesney, would you give him a warm round of applause? So Ches, uh, he and I got to meet uh, at the right before COVID. We just had our, before. We, we had our first coffee right before COVID. I got to know, know him, and when I first met him, I saw him. I'm like, the man looks like one of the disciples, right? Like, and uh, he was wearing sandals. And then I found it. his of my character. It, it was. No. No, it was not your character. Just okay. in the beard. Okay. And. Uh, And then I found out his name was Jerusalem. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy really is like a disciple from the Mediterranean. But uh, he loves Jesus. He loves the word. He loves people. He loves discipling people. And I was so excited to hear he had a passion to plant churches. So tell about your church plant in Colorado Springs. Tell us what you're doing.
2: Uh, Well, first, I just want to say thank you to Vineyard. Um, Man, some of our best years of ministry and greatest friends are at this church. Uh, In fact, seven years ago next week was the first time I ever stood on a stage and preached in the context of a gathered people of God Sunday worship service, and that was right here at the Vineyard. Um, So I love this place, love what God's doing here, grateful to be here. Um, Yeah, we uh, moved to Colorado Springs a year ago almost, uh, just over a year ago, August 10th. We rolled into someone's driveway for the very first time to meet them and then to move into their basement for the next five weeks. So me and my wife and our five kids, 11 and under, met this other family with their four kids, and there was 13 of us around the dinner table and (laughs) breakfast table and lunch table every day for five weeks. I literally
0: just threw up my mouth. Um, at that. So yes,
2: we loved being with them. They were amazing, and we're super glad to have our own house now. Um, That's right. And so... Yeah, we have joined two other churches in Colorado Springs, International Anglican Church and Holy Trinity Anglican Church that are coming together to partner, to give birth to a new church there in the Springs. And so on a three-year track, just finished the first year, so God willing, summer 2024, we'll get lovingly kicked out of the nest and plant a new church.
0: Well, I'm so excited. I'm I'm a church plant fan. Obviously, I, I planted a church out of this place nearly 20 years ago. And so I believe that's how we fulfill the Great Commission, by going to make disciples and make disciples, and I think the greatest vehicle is by planting more and more churches. So why do we need more churches? Why do we need, some people be like, there's a church in every corner. Why do we need more church plants?
2: Yes, um, there are bad reasons to plant churches. Um, And there's a lot of churches that have been planted for bad reasons probably because of that. Um, Unhealthy churches tend to fracture and split. Uh, But healthy churches that are maturing tend to multiply and send people out. Um, This is kind of the constant just drumbeat of the New Testament is that wherever the Great Commission is being lived out, where we're making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything God's commanded us, uh, it takes a church to do that. So as the gospel is received and released and takes root in new places, new churches spring up. I mean, I think you guys have seen this all through the book of Acts, right? Paul goes in and preaches the gospel and people believe and he raises up leaders and plants churches. And so it's not just the church itself that multiplies, but with the multiplication of churches, there's multiplication of leadership, new people are raised up, there's a deepening of pastoral care, uh, there's new creative kind of cultural expressions of the gospel with these people in this place at this time. And so Jesus does what he's always done. He takes and blesses and breaks and gives his body for the sake of the world, and we as his body are part of that process, and so uh, it's not just for us to have more space for us, but it's for the more people in this world are drawn into the life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit.
0: I love it. I love it. So, uh, and also churches that are part of helping plant churches are blessed as well. Something happens there. So, that's good. I was really excited to give Eric the opportunity to share with you today. I said, just come and share what it looks like for you to live unleashed and to challenge our body. So he's going to have the floor for the next 20 or so minutes and bless you and encourage us and challenge us from his story. So again, give a warm venue welcome to Eric Chaz as he goes. Goodness.
2: Well, as Matt uh, asked me to come and uh, share some of my story and talk about what it looks like to live unleashed, one of the first thoughts that popped into my mind is unleashed living only leads to life if you've learned to linger on the leash. Unleashed living only leads to life if you've learned to linger on the leash. I think last week you guys heard about uh, not kicking against the goads. You could say that don't lunge against the leash. Right, this idea of being unleashed is not this rabid dog just, rawr, rawr, just being let go and going and terrorizing people, right? Good dog owners take their dogs off the leash when they've learned to heal, to remain, to be calm, to be obedient to the master. And so I think this past season, uh, before God has unleashed us into this work of church planting, was really a season where God put me on a leash. I stepped away in January Uh, 2020 and a few months later we had our daughter and then two days later the world shut down and everything kind of just stopped, right? And one of the the words that God gave us was from Jeremiah 6.16. It says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. And then this devastating line, but you said we will not walk. You can stand, you can look, you can ask, and all it takes to miss what God has for us at times is simply not walking in that. So we thought, all right, man, we've stood and we've looked and we've asked, it's time to walk. Let's go. Let's, let's get this show on the road. And God was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Walk. Stop running. Stop running around frantically. Stop running ministry. Stop running your life. Walk. There is a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to destruction. But there is an ancient path. There is a good way. And it's that way, the way of Jesus, where we find rest for our souls. So the question for us is not so much, God, what is your will, and do we want to do your will? It's, God, how do we do your will your way? Amen. I was trying to do God's will my way, or the American way, or the evangelical church way. Right? We have all these different ways that seem right. But there is an ancient path in a good way. And so we're trying to figure out what that looks like and to walk in that. And so we've had to slow down. Let the RPMs of our soul come down and discern the Jesus way. And and in all of this, in the story that we find ourselves living, that we find ourselves walking in, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus transforms endings into beginnings. And so to see how this works in the book of Acts, I want to look at the very end of the book of Acts and try to make sense of what does this mean in light of the beginning. So we're going to read the very final chapter of Acts, Acts 28, starting in verse 23. It says, When they, the Jewish brothers in Rome, had appointed a day for him, Paul, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, about how long I'll be preaching today, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, He lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So here we see Paul in Rome under house arrest. And the Jewish brothers are coming to him and listening to what he has to say as he's giving in a defense for the reason he was arrested in Jerusalem and sent to Rome, uh, testifying to what he spent his life proclaiming. And some believe, but some don't. And the book just kind of ends there with Paul under house arrest with a mediocre response to his ministry. How can this be a victory? How is this a climactic conclusion to the book of Acts where people have been set free from prison and set free from demons and set free from sickness and brought back to life from the dead? This is the way it goes down? Paul just kind of goes out with a whimper? Well, in order to understand how Jesus is going to make a new beginning from this ending, we actually need to go back to the beginning. And not just the beginning of this book, but the beginning of the first book, the Gospel of Luke. See, Luke is the author of Acts, and this is the second volume to his two-part work, Luke-Acts. And the the point of the story is that God is the Savior of the world. First in the God-man, Jesus Christ, and then in the body of Christ, empowered by his Spirit, the church. And the point that that Luke is trying to, the, the way Luke's trying to expound upon this is showing That this good news of the gospel, the salvation story, has come from Israel, through Jesus, into the church, and out for the sake of the world. And Luke does this, he communicates this by arranging this two-volume work as a travel narrative. Location and place matters. And so as Luke tells of the birth of Jesus, his gospel is pregnant with the significance of Jerusalem in the salvation story. It's in Jerusalem that Jesus is offered up as a child for the redemption of Jerusalem. Luke 2, 38. So this is why Jesus stays in Jerusalem, because he has to be about his father's work. Luke 2, 43. And what was concealed in Jesus as a boy is ultimately revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is speaking about the exodus which he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke 9, 31. In Luke 9.51, there's this significant shift in the story where Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He's made it his mission to make it to Jerusalem. And so in Luke 9.51 and 13.22 and 17.11 and 18.31 and in Luke 19.28, it all has Jesus on the way toward Jerusalem. But this was not like a straight line trip, right? I mean, Who of us has ever experienced God leading us in straight lines, right? Someone said that God always leads us in the shortest path possible, but it would look a very strange journey on a map, right? And so God, like our lives, like every good story, there's twists and there's turns, and God's not content simply to guide us in these twists and turns, to guide our stories. God steps into our story. God becomes man and dwells among us. And Jesus himself experiences the twists and turns on the way to Jerusalem. But it's this period of heightened resolve that Jesus is going to reach his Jerusalem goal. And so what is Jesus' goal? Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to die. This is the reason Jesus became Man in the first place. God became man because he wanted to die. Being God, he could not die. So he took to himself flesh and blood so he could enter into our predicament and die. The word who spoke all things into existence, the one who holds all things together by the word of his power is going to Jerusalem to speak his last word and breathe his last breath. It is finished. But Jerusalem is also a place of new beginnings. It's not just a place of ending, but a place of new beginning. The very first verse in the book of Acts refers to Luke as the first book and says, In this first book, it dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the implication is not that the book of Acts is going to be about what the church is going to begin to do and teach, but rather what Jesus will continue to do and teach through his church empowered by his spirit. God is the hero of this story. Acts is not another American manual for white knuckle willpower. This is not like, Paul did it and so can you. Get her done, right? Like, that's not what this is. The gospel is good news. Not good advice. This is not a story about what you're supposed to do. It's about who Jesus is and what he has done. So, what did Jesus do? Jesus transformed death. The place where prophets go to die becomes the place the church comes alive. If Luke is the story of Jesus' ending, then Acts is the story of Jesus' new beginning. If Luke shows a picture of Jesus' last breath leaving his body on the cross, then Acts is the story of the body of Christ receiving that same breath into her to cause her to come alive. Jesus' last order in Luke is his first words in the book of Acts. Not to depart from Jerusalem, until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus is getting to Jerusalem to get us from Jerusalem to the world. And then one of the most famous passages in all of scriptures, Acts 1.8. And this serves as a virtual table of contents for the rest of the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then right away, this is what you see the disciples doing. Peter's preaching to this crowd from all the nations gathered in Jerusalem. He refers to them as men of Judea, Acts 2.14. In Acts 5.16, the gospel spreads and fills all the towns around Jerusalem. And by Acts 5.28, the disciples have filled Jerusalem with the gospel message. Acts 8.1 shows that persecution is what kind of exponentially propels the gospel proclamation to Judea once again and now Samaria as well. And in Acts 8.14 and 8.25, we see that the Samaritans not only heard but actually accepted the word of God. And now we can begin to understand how the end of Acts is actually this climactic conclusion. Paul, in Rome, signals the victory of God. The gospel has gone out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and now to the ends of the known world. The forces of evil which stand against the gospel spread have been undone by Jesus on the cross. And now the kingdoms and the systems of this world are being undone as well. Acts shows that all would-be kings who fancy themselves gods, whether Herod or Caesar, are ultimately at the mercy of the one true God. Because the good news of Jesus' victory and his vindication, his death and his resurrection is being proclaimed in Rome. And from there, it will extend into all the world just as the arms of the cross have been extended. The throne on which Jesus was enthroned as king of the world. These are fighting words. Caesar is no longer king. Jesus transformed kingdoms. Paul's end in Rome signals the end of Rome. The greatness of Rome must ultimately give way to the grace of God. The end of Rome's reign is the beginning of Jesus' eternal reign. And Jesus' reign means release. Because Jesus came to set captives free. Like you and me. He came, and he's coming now, and he's coming after us. And this brings us face to face with the gospel fact that Jesus is king. Now, this is not like just spiritual mumbo-jumbo talk here. Jesus is king is like political fighting words. Because when a new Caesar rose to power, what they would do is they would send out heralds with the good news, the gospel, that Caesar is king. Like it or not. Like, we're not asking for your vote. This is just the new reality under which you live. Caesar is king. Fall in line or get left behind. And we actually have coins that have like Caesar, Augustus, Son of God, Priest of the Most High. Like this is political language. And so when Jesus steps on the scene, everyone starts saying, Jesus is king. Whoa. But there's no election, there is only liberation. Jesus came to save us over our dead bodies, as it were. He wasn't waiting for what we had to say about it. Jesus is king. And because of this, it means not only that the end of death gives way to new resurrection life, and not only does the end of Rome's reign lead to the release of captives in Jesus' reign, but Jesus as king means that your ending has been transformed into a new beginning as well. Jesus came to transform your ending. I don't know what kind of endings you've lived through these past few years, I don't know what kind of loss of relationships, whether neighbors or friends or family members, forced retirement, unexpected things coming your way. I don't know what kind of magnitude and weight of endings you're carrying with you into this building today. And none of us know the endings that lie ahead of us in the days and the weeks, the months and years to come. But I do know this. Jesus has gone to our end for us to put an end to all endings. There is new resurrection life in Jesus. Jesus came to put an end to rebels like Saul and like you and like me. And he does it by transforming us into the redeemed. It's Saul who bursts on the scene in Acts chapter 9 as the embodied resistment to this missional mandate to proclaim the gospel to the nations. It's supposed to go from Jerusalem. What do we see Saul doing? We see him arresting Christians and taking them back to Jerusalem. He's binding up and resisting the work of God. And yet at some point, God opens his eyes to see and disciples from Jerusalem are sent to him. He learns, he's changed, he's transformed, he's preaching the gospel. And at some point they're going, hey, we're actually concerned you're gonna be bound up and taken back to Jerusalem. And Paul has been so transformed, he says, I'm willing to be bound. I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and die for the sake of Jesus. Acts 21, 13. But Jesus appears to him and says, hey, you're not done here. I need you to also bear witness in Rome. And so the last mention of Jerusalem in the book of Acts is Paul and the providence of God being arrested in Jerusalem and sent to Rome to bear witness to Jesus before the rulers. Acts conclusion shows that all would-be rebels who seek to hinder the spread of the gospel will they themselves spread that gospel message unhindered and with boldness. The reason that Paul can't stop talking about the kingdom of God is because he's got swept up in it himself. See, Paul was not simply a worker in the kingdom. Paul had become a beloved of King Jesus. He was transformed. He wasn't just the conduit of God's grace to others. He was first the object of God's grace. Jesus has transformed you. And your soul and the ending of your soul can lead to the beginning of your Paul. The things within us that resist and fight against and push against Jesus and his kingdom have been overcome and transformed and are now used to proclaim the good news of of who God is and what he's done. And this is why Paul just can't shut up about Jesus, right? Every time he's beaten and bound and brought before some ruler, what does he do? He doesn't launch into all of his learning. He doesn't show his like, list of degrees. He goes, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how I encountered him and how he came after me, and how he's transformed me. That's all he does. He bears witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And on one of these occasions, he's recounting this experience in Acts 26, verse 16. He recalls the words of Jesus But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, I find it fascinating that God chooses to blind Paul before he sends him to open other people's eyes. And isn't this how God works? Sometimes the places of the greatest pain in our life becomes the point of the greatest gospel proclamation. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was addicted and I've been set free. This is what God does. And why does Jesus want their eyes to be opened? Why does Jesus want people to see him? Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and believe in their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Jesus has come after you to heal you, to make you whole. Yes, he is redeeming all things and making all things new, and that certainly means more than our individual healings, but it does not mean less than that. Jesus came to put death in the grave, to make regimes retire, but he also came to snatch you from the fire. And Jesus is not simply unleashing you for you to fill a role. He's come to save your soul. This is why we're engaged in this gospel work of proclamation, not just to reach all those people out there. God is saving us, God is coming after you. This is the message of the book of Acts that God is not unleashing you because he wants to use you, God is unleashing you because he wants you. He's not looking for more workers in the kingdom, he's looking for lovers of the king people who can bear witness and testify. And so the invitation today is that we would receive the eye-opening work of Jesus. What are all the ways he's come after you? What are the ways he's coming after you even today? All that he has done and is doing and will do. And let our mouths and our lives be unleashed to bear witness to Jesus. Somebody said, God's not so much in need of more PR reps as much as he wants satisfied customers. The gospel is the good news about who God is and what he has done. Be unleashed from the burden of having to do it and just begin to walk in his ways. Unleashed and unhurried. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who moved first. God, you have come after us and you keep coming. There's never a time you're not coming for us, God. You pursue us. You chase us down, some of us to this moment right here today. God, for those who are sitting here who think they've gone too far and they've done too much, God, would you chase them down even now as the hound of heaven who says to us, ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he who thou seekest. Thou dravest love from thee who dravest me. God, you're coming after us and pursuing us and chasing us down and setting us free. God, would we lay aside all the good advice, all the white knuckle willpower, all the this is on us to get it done. We would, would we simply receive your work completed? It is finished. And God, would you send us out in the power of your spirit to bear witness to what you have done and are doing and are going to do in this world. God, breathe your breath into us today. Make dead people come alive in Jesus for the first time today. God, break the the power of shame. God, break the things that shackle us and hold us back and set us free. Unleash us to walk with you, God. To experience you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue into a time of worship, just want to invite you guys to, to stand. And as we begin to engage with God, and just lean into what he's doing in this moment. I I pray the Spirit just begins to bring to mind the, the ways in which God has come after you, the ways in which God has set you free. Maybe you're living in that personal pain moment right now, and today's the day that God wants to break that and set you free and transform that into a point of gospel proclamation. This is what God has done to set me free you need to do business with God where you are, that is great. If you need to turn to someone next to you and have them pray for you, that's great. If you want to come down and just kneel down here, we're going to have a couple songs of worship, and then Pastor Matt's going to come up and invite the prayer team to come at the end, continue to have time of ministry together.
3: Our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes, if grace is in.
0: Most important theological thing about you is not that you've sinned. The most important theological truth about you is that you're loved by the King of the Universe. I think too many people walk into this room thinking, "What do I have to do? What do I have to do to get in with God? What do I have to do?" And the Lord is saying, "Just be, my son. Be." My daughter, step into my love, receive my agape love, and you will be changed, and you will change the world. John Knox, famous pastor and reformer, was standing over Scotland a year, hundred years ago, several hundred years ago, saying, "I want Scotland to know Jesus." God helped him to know Jesus, and God told him to draw a circle on the ground, and he did. And he said, give me revival or let me die. And then God said, step into the circle. I want to start the revival there. I want to restart revival in you, John, to know you're my beloved son. And when you know you're my beloved son, then you can go change the world. So if you're here today and you're wondering if you're loved you want to receive his love just hold out your hands you just want to receive more if you've already been a follower of Jesus maybe you're not a follower of Jesus I just don't know that I'm loved I'm at an end I want a new beginning just say more just more you already have his love but a greater experience of his love and we're going to invite Holy Spirit to stir just invite Holy Spirit to come upon, to stir, to move. It's a crazy thing to invite Holy Spirit who's already in our midst to move and already do what he's been doing. Just invite more. Invite Holy Spirit. Just invite Holy Spirit. Stir Holy Spirit.
3: free and my shame is undone it's your presence
0: teams down. If you're here and you are wrestling with anything, you want to see your ending, you're feeling you've come to an end and you want to see a new beginning, you want prayer for that, come get prayer. If you want to experience the love of God to a deeper way, you want to, I don't believe I'm loved, I want to experience that, step into that. Or if you want to step into more, you want to receive the Holy Spirit or more of the Holy Spirit, you're going to give your life to Christ, anything. If you don't want to come up and get prayer, turn to the people around you and just say, would you pray for me? Don't leave without leaning in tomorrow. God bless you guys. Eric will be down here if you want to get prayer. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com
1: podcast.